I've been thinking a lot lately about how photographs influence our memories, not just of people and places, but also events in our lives. For example, I've realized that there are memories of certain aspects of my childhood that are rooted not in an actual event itself, but rather in the photograph depicting the event. In fact, there are multiple important events in my life where the time surrounding the event itself is a complete blur, and my memory, quote-unquote, of it only exists because there happens to be a photograph. So in this conversation, we're talking about how memory can often be influenced or even replaced entirely by photographs. We're also wrestling a bit with a question that Sean Tucker asked about whether photography is more about the end product, the image, or is it more about the process of making it? I'm Jeffrey Sidoris. I'm talking to John Wilkening, and this is In Between. So, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always fun around Philadelphia for New Year because we have the Mummers Parade. Right, right. How was it yeah. this year? It was awesome because it wasn't four degrees like last year. <laughs> that's uh that's a definite plus that's a definite bonus yeah it, it, yes last year it was so cold that when you got home and you're you're in the house for an hour you still felt cold yeah like no. you, it seeped in that, that no uh, the only place <laughs> i want to be when it's four degrees outside is home somewhere watching you in four degrees outside like i <laughs> that just doesn't compute for me uh yeah, so this year was, you know, balmy like 55. That's actually pretty good. I mean, can you believe that? January, 55 degrees in January? Yeah, it's it, part of me every time it you have one of these days where you're like, eh, maybe global warming isn't so bad. Right, 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 right. So it was good that way, you know. It was fun getting out and shooting for the first time in a while. Right. I had that fun that fun moment where I looked at my camera and I'm like, oh, there's six frames in here. I wonder what film I'm using. I'm looking in the wrong end. Why does everything look so far away? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And thankfully, I don't have a lens cap for I I was shooting with a, a Roly 35. Nice. Which are unique because they're scale focused. Hmm. Meaning... You set the distance on the, it's almost like a focus ring on the lens. Right. And you set the distance, but when you look through the viewfinder, it's just a viewfinder. So it's so not like, reflecting what the camera is seeing. No. So if you did have a lens cap, you could theoretically shoot to your heart's <laughs> desire. You never realize <laughs> it until you looked at your front of your camera. And just between us, John, because nobody's listening, how many times yeah. have you done that? Thankfully, like I said, since I don't have a lens cap for this, it hasn't happened on this camera, but I've definitely done it on other rangefinders. Yeah, I was in, uh, there was a, a big protest march in Hollywood and I had my F2 and I had a bunch of rolls of HP5 and loaded a roll and I'm shooting and, and just kind of losing myself. I'm in the crowd, I'm shooting, I'm having a great time, you know, and I thought, man, I am getting a lot of frames on this roll. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the, 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 it had come undone from the sprocket and I got nothing, absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. Uh, 
It's I've definitely done that before. Yeah. Like, Son of a. <laughs> 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 Sorry for my language for those yeah, listening to the car, right. but like that's all right. Yeah. Those are one of those things where I feel a hundred percent justified in using whatever language that comes right, out. Right. So so it was a good, it was a good day collectively, but it was one of those where I was on my feet from like eight thirty to about four in the afternoon and I don't know how many miles I covered. Wow. How many rolls did you end up shooting total? Uh I think uh six or seven mm-hmm. rolls of thirty five. I haven't developed any of them. Uh, you know, I literally got home and within a half an hour, it was in bed. Right. You know, so. And just got up about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> My alarm goes off at four in the morning, so it's a quick turnaround. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot, even even though it's only the second. I I feel like I've, for the last week or so, I've been thinking a lot about photography and photography photographs and memory. And I I wrote some stuff about it today. And it's weird, man. I, there are certain things that I can remember so clearly and other things that, that I should be able to remember, but have completely vanished. I can remember the photographs of the events, you know what I mean? But I can't remember the real life events. Like one of the things that I was writing about today was, was just reflecting on the past year and how it seems like the older you get, the faster the years go at the end. But when you're in it, time is moving, you know, time marches on kind of thing. But then when you get to the end, you're like, wow, man, that really went by fast. And I was thinking about, you know, my mom has been gone for nine and a half years, my dad five. And as weird as it is to say, I don't remember their faces. I don't remember the details of their faces other than the way they looked when they died. You know, my dad, because I took a photograph of him, my mom, it, just, it was just a very intense time. I remember my mom had this glamour shot taken and I remember that shot very clearly, you know, like a portrait, one of those like soft focus with the makeup and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. I remember mm-hmm. that very clearly. I remember uh, a couple photographs of my dad very clearly, but for example, his birthday, which was uh, February, and then he uh, he died in November. But that February, I remember the evening. I remember what we had for dinner. I remember what the dishes looked like. I remember his best friend, Dennis, sitting across from me in the living room having a conversation and my dad sitting just to my left on the same sofa as me. I can't picture his face at all. Zero huh. memory. Yeah, I I kind of understand how that I understand that idea cuz my mom had 5 years ago had her voice box taken out mm-hmm. be, because of cancer. Mm-hmm. So she communicates through a combination of lip reading and she has one of those you know, vibrating mm-hmm. sticks. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're what they're actually called. And I honestly have a hard time remembering what she, her voice. What she sounded like beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so strange. So it's, it's gotten me thinking about memory, you know, and even though like I, I've been here on the East coast now for gosh, I guess what, three years, a little over three years. Mm-hmm. I can't remember hardly any of those first couple years. I can remember certain little things. And I was just talking to Adrian about this on the phone. I can remember 
you know, sort of seeing her and Sylvia for the first time, that meeting. I remember, you know, certain moments. I remember the drive across country when I finally did come here. But other things that were that were, you know, in some cases pivotal moments or or poignant moments in my life, no memory of whatsoever. How do you think that ties into photography? Because I remember the photographs of the events. I remember like I remember a photograph that I probably haven't seen in 10 years or 15 years maybe of some events I think gosh what it must have been I must have been probably 12 or 13 years old. I remember that photograph like I just looked at it this morning but I don't remember <laughs> the events that it's depicting. <laughs> you know, and I find that on 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 some level throughout my life where a memory that I have of a specific event is not a memory of the event at all. It's a memory of the photograph that was taken of the event, mm. which I find, again, really fascinating. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see. It's one of those where I had this conversation where um, a friend of mine mentioned that they had the chance through work to go to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're, have a manufacturing facility in Switzerland. They might, and I was like, I think I've been to Switzerland because there's a picture that looks like Switzerland, <laughs> but like I can't. Is it a little chocolate <laughs> castle? Oh, it, it was. You know those classic sort of Alps pictures where the valley is like mile below and the mountains just go almost straight vertical. Right. Right. And, and there's a picture of me when I'm about one and a half being held by my dad on top of one of these things overlooking the valley beneath it. And it's like, theoretically, I, I, I guess I counted going to Switzerland, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it, 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 it is not exactly the same. Right. You know, like, um, do you think because when you see a photograph, it, it's somehow... Your brain knows that a photograph is you saying this event is important because we're going to mark it via an image. Mm -hmm. And so your brain goes, okay, we have that image. We have what's important. We could overwrite the other memories. Right. I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a really, I think that gets to a bigger discussion of when I was a kid the camera was this sort of mystical device and and you you know you took the camera out you photographed whatever it was that you were photographing and then you put the camera away so so yeah in some in some ways there was an importance to making a photograph of of something whether it was a place or or an event or a person but i i wonder now and and this is it's an unfair comparison because now i'm 51 instead of being, you know, 12 or something. But in 20 years time, will I remember how many of the photographs that I'm looking at on a screen, not holding in my hand as a print, will I remember by comparison? Do you know what I mean? Like, does does your brain, because photographs have become so commonplace and, and the act of taking a photograph or making a photograph, if you're one of those people, is so <laughs> commonplace has it lost its importance and your brain doesn't keep track anymore? Your brain doesn't file that away under, oh, this is important. We went through some some stuff to get here. 
It instead, nope, you just pulled out your phone, swiped to the left and went snap or snap, 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 snap. If you're one of those people uh, <laughs> and you know who you are. Yeah. Uh, so do, does our, you know, do our brains now not think of photographs as important or as 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 important as they once were? And how how will I measure that? Because as I get older, arguably my memory will become worse. So I, there's not a fair comparison. Do you know what I'm trying to say? What I'm where I'm trying to get to? Yeah, as the sort of availability of photo photography as a medium has increased, has the value of it as a holder of value, let's put it that way, mm-hmm. increased as well, or has that decreased? Right. Yeah, no, that's that's a great way to put it. And I don't know. I remember I'm, you know, again, I'm 51. So I I remember almost the novelty of seeing someone with a nice camera. You know, mm-hmm. you, you went, oh, wow, that's wow. You've got a 35 millimeter. That's, you know, and it, and again, it, it, it may not have even been a nice camera, but the fact that it was a 35 millimeter SLR with interchangeable lenses, which was different than my little instamatic with the the magic cubes on the top meant that it carried some more weight so maybe you were more important or the or the things that you photographed with it were more important because the device itself was was somehow better you know or perceived as better do you think that happens now with if you want to say oh you shoot you you have a a Canon, uh, Canon was a 5D4 mm-hmm. or fill in the blank, you know, the new Sony, you know, you have the new fill in the blank latest camera. I think it depends on the camera. You know, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you saw somebody walking around with, with, you know, a street photographer, let's say walking around with a phase one IQ3, would you think, wow, they must really be good? Or would you think, douche, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I I really don't know. Yeah. There's definitely something where like a certain level of camera, you mentally go, oh, that's a professional. Yes. Well, yeah. But then, then you see, you know, you see this, this Russian kid that I follow that shoots almost exclusively with an iPhone and his work is amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. Because it's not about, you know, 52 megapixels and edge to edge sharpness. It's about composition and narrative and what's in the frame. Yeah. So I, I don't know, man, that's a, it's a really interesting question. And it's something that I've, I've found myself thinking more and more about, especially with my own sort of saga around, around cameras over the last, you know, (laughs) few months, few years kind of thing you know i'm thinking about the tool much more than than i used to do you think people today buy cameras because they they can't actually create an image they want to or do you think people buy cameras as a means of self-validating their own choice Maybe that's not the right way to put it. Well, I think both are true. I th- I think that that you know the the camera you choose 
there are all kinds of different reasons why you might choose it. You might have listened to several prominent YouTubers say that this is the camera to get for 2018. You may have read specs. You may know people who shoot with this type of camera and you go, well, gosh, you know, so-and-so uses this and, and they're doing the kind of work that I want to do. I should get something like that, if not the exact same thing, because then maybe I'll be able to do the things that, that they're doing as well, which of course we know is ridiculous because, you know, you could hand a photographer, a great photographer, uh, any number of cameras and, and they're going to get amazing results. I mean, look at, look at somebody like Avedon who was able to shoot with 35 and two and a quarter and eight by 10 and have the same kind of aesthetic and the same kind of energy and the same kind of feel to the photographs, regardless of what format or type of camera he was using. And in, in those examples, they're completely different methods of shooting. But that mm -hmm. energy and that aesthetic is, is, is constant throughout. And I think there are any number of photographers for whom that's true. Yeah. What we, what we sometimes get caught up in is the hype around the gear and the hype around the hardware and go, well, if I only had that one, you know, then I'd be able to do this. If I only had a medium format camera, then I'd be able to, you know, make six by eight foot pictures. Well, when are you ever going to do that? You know, it's, it's sort of like when, when I was, <laughs> when I was testing out the Olympus EM1 and then the X-T2 because the three hadn't, hadn't come out yet. And, you know, I'm doing all these tests at 3,200 ISO and 6,400 ISO and going, well, you know, this one looks decidedly different and better and worse. And, and, uh, you know, Sean was like, well, how, how often do you shoot at 6,400? And I'm like, well, I never do. Well, <laughs> then why is, why are you testing what they can do at that ISO if you never shoot there. Like, what? so what? Like, it doesn't matter which one's better at that level because you're never using it like that. You know, like this hammer is a horrible screwdriver. Well, okay, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I, I think that, that that's part of what has become the, the, the modern sort of photographic struggle when it comes to buying gear. Because let's face it, you know, you and I have talked about this a number of times. There aren't really any bad cameras. Mm -mm. Not no. anymore. I mean, almost any camera that you buy circa, you know, 2015 on is going to be a really terrific camera relative to what you had, at least in digital, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. One thing that sort of popped in my head during this talk is what do you think causes people to look at their current gear and then and go, I need a different camera? I, I can't answer that. I, I have no idea. I, I know people that get new cameras with every revision, every new, like if they're Canon users, they're getting the Mark one, the Mark two, the Mark three, the Mark four, like clockwork. I, I, I don't know why I, I don't, I mean, for me, it was because it was a real world scenario. I was missing shots. You know, that, that, that X pro one, as much as I love it and still shoot with it, 
that camera combined with the 35 f1.4, which is that big piece of glass with with a very heavy piece of glass and a slow focus motor, that combination wasn't great for for moving subjects. It's great for architecture. It's great for still subjects. It, it's great for for portraiture. It's great for um, maybe even events where things aren't moving quickly. But if you're shooting street trying to get people in the midst of, you know, one motion to another, or you're shooting something where where the subject is in motion and maybe you are in motion, it's just not fast enough. And I found myself missing more and more shots. If it focused faster and still mm-hmm. felt the same way, I, I would have no reason to look at another camera because I, I, and I've said this before, I think that's probably my favorite digital camera of all time. Yeah, it's a- yeah, like I could see, you know, we've talked enough. I've talked enough uh, with you about your sort of desire for a camera and like where you're actually missing shots is a hundred percent valid, mm-hmm. if you want to say, reason to getting, you know, getting a new camera. I just wonder how many, how often that's a case that that's the reason why. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I I think it's more a case of, well, this is incrementally better and it's the newer version. And maybe I've put, you know, a hundred thousand shutter clicks on my current rig. So it makes sense to upgrade. I I don't know. I don't know. Because like when I bought my, I had a Canon 5D Mark III for a while. And to, to be honest, I bought that one purely because that's what professionals use. Yeah. And I wanted to be professional. Sure. And I realized uh, not too long after using it that that wasn't the camera for me. Mm-hmm. That I bought it for an idea rather than for reality. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that... that... You know, this kind of gets us into to one of the other things that we were going to talk about, and and that is the idea of photography as, is it about the end product, or is it about the process of making the image, or is it a combination of, of you know, the two for you? You meaning the proverbial you, not you specific to you, although you too. Um, <laughs> and I, I think... That gets at why you want a particular setup, why you use a particular piece of gear. Um, I can tell you that, you know, not to get too deep into it, but while I do have the X-T3 and it produces really terrific images under, you know, certain conditions, it's not nearly as comfortable in the hand as the Olympus EM1 Mark II. It's not as fun to shoot. And I'm sure that a lot of people out there will disagree with me because everybody seems to be fawning over it, over mm-hmm. uh, fawning over it and calling it, you know, camera of the year. And and maybe it deserves to be camera of the year. But the ergonomics are still crap for my yeah. hands, for me, you know, for what mm-hmm. I am looking for in in a camera body. So on that question of 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 process versus outcome yes i want 
the outcome to be great, which is sort of obvious by the ridiculous way I was shooting test images. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I did a, a, a shoot last week and it just wasn't, it wasn't fun to shoot with. I mean, that's, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put it. It just wasn't fun. It didn't feel good. I found myself having to sort of change my grip a lot to try and get to the buttons and dials that needed changing. You know, the images look good, uh, but part of me is going, well, so what? I mean, if you don't want to pick (laughs) it up or if you feel like you're fighting with it, then what difference does it make? And I think a lot of digital cameras right now have that, that same kind of ergonomic challenge where they just feel like little bricks, you know? Some some don't like DSLRs still maintain that that nice hefty grip by and large, but the mirrorless cameras and the smaller cameras like the X100 or on smaller cameras and smaller mirrorless cameras specifically, there's not much to hold on to in the way of of feeling ergonomic, and and that that bugs me, frankly. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was funny when uh, when you sent me that potential quite the, the question mm-hmm. my initial my initial gut reaction is all that matters is the final image you know i'm one of those that sh- i shoot on film but i i totally understand why that's a ridiculous like film is is ridiculous to other people like i understand that and like and yeah. I, and and i don't advocate you anyone else shoot the way I shoot because that's the way I shoot. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those, but at the same time, when I look at my own sort of life and sort of decisions, equipment like or tool wise, I'm choosing film because of the process to making the image. Right. And that the final product is a, is a byproduct of the process. So like it's one of those things where like I think it's I almost want to say it's both, but like that it also feels like a cop out to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I don't I don't think it's a cop out at all. I think I think for a lot of people it's going to be both, you know, weighted in one direction or another, you know. But I think for because it it. It has to be on some level, it has to be about the final image because that's what's rep- that's what that's what represents the process, right? That's the mm-hmm. the the image is is the evidence of the process. Um yeah. and I, I that's not me. I think that was I think Dan Winters said that in a conversation that we had. I think that was his his thing about, you know, it's the photograph is the evidence of the process that went into making it. So you can't you can't have one without the other. You can enjoy one more than another. Um, you can enjoy engaging in one more than another. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. yeah it, how much? How much do you do you think people are aware of the process they go in to produce the images? Because like it, I hear photographers talk, and 
and sometimes I feel that that people are going maybe not going through the motions, but like their 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 focus is so heavily on the final product that they don't sit there and analyze their process at all. That's a good question. Um, and I, and I don't, unfortunately, I don't know that I have a good answer. I, I think there's a reluctance. Well, I don't think I know that there's a reluctance with a lot of photographers to show and, and irrationally. So I think to show where the image started versus where it ended up. I mean, we both know photographers that wouldn't show you their raw files for love or money Yeah, because they only want to be known for that final image. But there's a big part of me that wants to go, well, yeah, but wait a minute. If you can take this, if you can take a raw file that was a challenge to get in the first place and maybe the light was mediocre, maybe, you know, you had to do some compositing, you had to do some retouching, whatever it may be, but you were able to turn some of the technical issues around. I mean, the, let's say the, the the composition was there from the beginning, but you were struggling with some of the technical and you were able to turn that around in post. I don't think that that diminishes the quality of the end product at all. If anything, I think it speaks to the ability of the photographer to see beyond where some of the technical hiccups happened and still make something compelling from it. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite books of all time is the Magnum Contact Sheets. You know, we all have, we, we, we almost can, you know, talk about visual memory. Like, there's some of these famous, like, Kappa picture of the guy getting shot in, mm -hmm. I believe it was Spain. Or, you know, any of these famous, famous shots. And then you you look at what came before it and what came after it. And it looks like anyone in this world's pictures before and after. Sure. Like it, it was one of the more freeing revelations was that, you know, the greats of the greats of photography are shooting the exact same pictures. Everyone else is shooting 95% of the time. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that, when they nail it, they hit it out of the park. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's one of the most valuable books out there for seeing the way some of our photographic heroes were able and willing to work a subject or to work a scene where maybe some of us, myself included, would have given up after frame five or six or seven. It was frame eight that as you just said knocked it out of the park yeah and like knowing that that all came about by someone pulling the curtain behind the process mm -hmm. and sort of sharing that mm -hmm. well and I, th I think we need to be clear about working a subject or or simply seeing and waiting for that horribly overused term in photography but decisive moment that's process as well it's not process mm -hmm. doesn't just occur after the image has been taken in post-processing. That's part of it. But I think that process is certainly 
scouting locations, waiting for a moment, watching the action, anticipating moments and gesture and movement and snapping. I think that's process as well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of meeting up with other photographers and going shooting mm-hmm. because we'll stand at the same location, have the same scene in front of them, us, and go about shooting it in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, majority of people are facing one way, and then this other person is literally turns away from the thing you would think would be the picture of. Right. And he finds this interesting picture in the, in the opposite direction, you know, or everyone shooting high and someone shoots low. Like just the way people approach a scene and work it is so radically different. Yeah. And then in being able to almost walk and steal someone's technique or or go, huh, that's what they saw when they did this. Right, right. Like, you know, maybe I need to focus more on that or, you know, do it in a slightly different way. Yeah. You know? I mean, that was one of the most fun things about meeting up with Martin Rotz in uh, Cologne was seeing how differently he shoots. And, and because he's shooting at such a longer focal length than, than I am, he sees things that are both, you know, metaphorically and, and literally out of my reach. I just can't see the compositions that he's seeing. He's shooting with a long lens. I'm shooting with a 35. And, and there were times where, where we were walking and I would just ask him, what do you, what do you see? What is it that you're looking at? And he would show me the back of the camera, or he would just hand me the camera and go, look right up here and, and allow me to sort of move my lens around, you know, borrowing, move my frame around to see or try to see what he saw. And in some cases I could still see it, but in other cases, even with the same hardware, to your point, I still didn't see what he saw. I still didn't see it Mm -hmm. the way he saw it. And it was, it was absolutely like one of the most fun experiences shooting I've had in a while. Yeah. Is there a way, is there an exercise or something that you could try to replicate that experience other than going to Amsterdam and bugging rods. <laughs> Which I'm sure he wouldn't mind, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I mean, Martin. <laughs> um, you know, maybe short of, you know, buying another, another lens and just going out and, and mixing it up that way. And, I, you know, it's funny, when I was shooting film, I I would do that. You know, sometimes I would go out with a 50, but then other times I would go out with with my 80 to 200 taped down at 200 to to just change it up and and force myself to see differently. So I mean maybe there's room to do that again. You know, and and one of the kind of fun things about digital cameras with with um crop factors is you get to you get to go f- so much closer than what we did, you know, in film. You know, an eighty to two hundred was just that eighty to two hundred. But if you throw that same focal length on a micro four thirds camera, for example, now you're out at four hundred millimeters, and it changes the way you see again. You know, so I, I mean, maybe there are exercises like that to be done. I'm not sure. I mean, I. I Admittedly, I stay in that 35 millimeter to 50 millimeter range 
And honestly, maybe that's why I've been, or one of the reasons anyway, that I've been a little unhappy with my photography lately is, is in this environment where I'm at, maybe that's the wrong focal length for these streets. Maybe that's the wrong focal length for this architecture, for, for these details. Maybe I need to get tighter. Maybe I need to get further away and shoot wider, you know, but I, I, I feel like I need to mix up both what I'm seeing and how I'm seeing it to sort of get myself out of this space. Mm -hmm. Have you tried to almost like as an exercise, go out and shoot in the style or manner of specific photographers? No, but actually I've got that. It's funny that you mentioned that. I've got that in my, my sort of list of projects for 2019 is to put my spin on, on some of my favorite photographers work and, and not, not necessarily uh, trying to emulate or replicate a, a specific shot, but trying to capture their particular aesthetic. You know, I'm not going to go mm -hmm. shoot somebody against a white background and put like bees all over them. That, that's not that literal. But, you know, I have this scene that I've been You're thinking You're going to try wasp. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's a different insect. What? Uh, there's a, the, the, the trailhead that's at the end of our street that goes into the forest, especially when it gets really misty is, is such a creepy scene. And there's a, there's a guy that lives on our street. That's got this old, uh, old Ford, like early seventies F 100 pickup truck that I've wanted to ask if I can either borrow or would you just go park this at the end of the street at dusk? And and let me stage this 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 setup or this scene that I want to do, that in my head anyway feels very sort of Crudson esque. Now mm -hmm. it's probably going to be a complete failure by comparison, and I'm okay with that. I just want the experience of trying to make this sort of world, you know, that sort of Twin Peaksy kind of just off-center world that he has managed to create so incredibly well over the years. Yeah. Uh, it's something where, like, almost do running assignments where almost like a costume where you put on the style of, mm -hmm. you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. I you love know. that as a series of assignments. You know, go shoot in the style of Penn. Go shoot in the style of whoever, Neil Leifer. Go shoot sports in the style of Neil Leifer and see what you get. Um, mm -hmm. Go shoot, you know, in the style of Gary Winogrand or, or Bruce Gilden or something. Although be careful if you shoot like Bruce Gilden. <laughs> <laughs> People might not put up with that. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I think there's, I think it's so easy to get stuck in a stylistic sort of rut mm -hmm. where you're just producing the same in image over and over again. Right. Where if you have to adjust and sort of get out of your comfort zone, that you could then learn a little piece of something that you then take and adjust your style maybe two degrees or two percent right and then it, but if in the that constant sort of compounding adjustment period 
you know, you end up somewhere interesting in a year. Mm-hmm. Or so mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be interesting. You know, I and and look to be honest, since I've I've wanted to to either build or establish or somehow put a stake in the ground around a new community that wants to take on some of this stuff as a group, you know, that, that wants to not share everything you take because you can do that on Instagram, but instead create this sort of, uh, platforms, the wrong word, but you know what I'm saying? Where, where purposeful photography can be shared and discussed in detail, not just, Ooh, like that. Ooh, great snap. Great shot. Great capture. <laughs> yeah. Um, who's it? Austin Cleon has the concept of a seniors, I think is how I pronounce it. And how there's the, there's the myth of a lone genius who's in his basement and all comes up with like an amazing work of art. Right. Where he talks about how a lot of those guys are fueled by a scene Mm -hmm. rather than an individual person like an individual like by themselves sure and that it's by those people continually talking to similar artists or or other artists that they then develop something in that community they develop something that is profound mm-hmm. and and you know much more profound than what they could have accomplished solo correct yeah because they they could bounce ideas off of each other. They could do all this sort of stuff that by themselves, they don't aren't afforded that chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that there is, there's value in it. And I think the current, the current model actively, um, <laughs> sort of almost resents working as a group it actively discourages the the group mentality in favor of the solo image the solo brand the solo product the solo 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 and i i think one of the results of that is we see a lot of work that looks very very similar mm-hmm. because there there is and i could be completely off base about this and I'm I'm fully willing to to own that but it seems like there is emulation without discussion so that the work yeah the work ends up just being similar because all you're looking at is is the visual not the process or the reason or the narrative or in you know insert word here that's important to you to 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 create it that went into creating it you're just seeing the end result mhm yeah yeah and and I think that I think final images can be copied, but the journey to create them can't hundred percent yeah yeah and like i've i've always I've always had the mentality that i'm I will freely share my process and information as much as i want as I can because even if you can even if you could copy what I do better than I can do it, Mm -hmm. you don't have the information that created it. 
so you don't have the foundation that you could then innovate off that. Yeah, your 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 branching pattern is going to be completely different. You can start in a similar spot, but yeah, you're right. You won't you won't they don't have your life experience, they don't have your your in some cases struggle to get there. Mhm. So, yeah, I mean, you could you could maybe come up with a couple one-off images where you go, "Oh, that looks like so and so," but where do you go from there? And I think the where yeah. do you go from there, that's the most exciting thing. Making an image that looks like someone else's image, I don't know really where, I mean, yes, there's, I suppose there's a challenge in it, but I think the, the greater challenge is, okay, where does that iterate to? Where, what comes out of that? What, what does that inform next? Yeah. You know, as much as uh, much as your photo, your artistic career gets defined by those single images, I don't think a single image can survive by itself. It needs to be in a chain of images that keeps keeps on pushing that image in front of people. Mm-hmm. I almost wish that there was a a way to you know, a, a feature maybe in Instagram where you can see that one image, but then with a quick tap, you can sort of almost push that image back visually and see what's on left and right. See what came before, bef- well, yeah, see what came before it and what came after it. In the case, you know, if it being the last image, you only see, you know, what came before it, obviously. But if you happen to link in on somebody's you know on an image in somebody's feed and it's mid feed it would be kind of neat where where you could just with a tap throw that one to the background and almost scrub through an image or two or three on either side without mm, having yeah. to go oh let me look at your you know go back to your profile and then search for that particular image you know almost like a video timeline basically yeah it- you're you're looking for the through line. You're looking for the thread, right? Not just that single endpoint. Do you, do you think people do you think people are afraid of sharing the thread? Because oftentimes, when a great image is created on a pile of garbage images, even if they you didn't think they were garbage at the time of creating. But because your skill has progressed far enough that you now then view them as bad? I don't know. I mean, I I don't know that a lot of, I don't know that most people think about through line and and what one image says about another or how one image is even related to another. I mean, I think there are are a couple of people that I follow that will, in, in fact, it's increasing really too, more and more, where they'll post in in one post on Instagram they'll post 3 or 5 or even 7 or so images almost like a little a little mini story in and of itself where you can see a narrative or or a progression of of images rather than just a single and i find that i i really enjoy that a lot more than than just going oh wow one image you know i i mm. love seeing four or five or six images in 
in a sequence to see what you were trying to achieve or what you were. And look, knowing that those are curated as well, right? I'm not seeing images one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. I'm seeing, you know, 22, 60, 147, 300, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah. at least there has been, there has been some thought put into how these things are presented and there's been some curation to create a multiple image of a, a multi-image single experience. Yeah. It, I, I wonder, do you think the social media and sharing has changed our, how we view images that we get so used to seeing them as single images that we, we don't practice producing work in groups or bodies of work? I th- probably. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have any data around it, but I, I think that's probably true. I mean, you talk to Matheson who, who, uh, Chris Matheson, for those of you who, who may not know his work, Christopher Matheson.com, I think is, isn't that his site or is it Chris Matheson.com with a K? I believe it's Chris Matheson, but anyway, uh, <laughs> Matheson regularly prints out images and puts them down and looks at them together and moves them around and sees how they work within the body of work, within the sort of totality of what he's shot. And I know a few other photographers that, that kind of regularly do that. And I love that idea. I love the idea and I don't print nearly as much as I should, but I love the idea of printing out a sequence of work and, and either putting it on the wall, even if it's just temporary or at the very least, spending an hour or so with it spread out on the floor just to look at how it works together and and what you're seeing now versus what you saw a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, five years ago. You know, I know that's how Martin produces uh, March and Rock, where he will spread out images on the floor and and move them around and in some cases rotate them 180 degrees because some of his stuff is is so abstract that it works, you know, on 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 both levels both right side up and upside down and he says it's it's absolutely integral to the success of the magazine and and his own success as a photographer to think about these things as sequences not just single shots yeah um uh, my uh my friend Nate Maddows he he, he does it uh, he shoots film or shoots a lot of film I think he also shoots digital now, but like he'll he'll print off like four by sixes of of just like almost like a contact sheet mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. maybe he'll whittle it down, cut out half the images, you know, or like make us a, a like first cut, print them off in four by sixes, and then just put them like in a shoebox, and then come back a month later, lay them on the floor you know rearrange them play with them look at them then put them back in the like just keeps on going over the set of images well i think it tightens you up right i mean it it it's it sharpens you i think to to keep going back and looking and seeing what you found interesting then versus now seeing were there colors that you were drawn to were there particular lines that you were drawn to were there shapes that you were drawn to were there were there lighting conditions that you were drawn to 
and how have those things changed or progressed? Yeah, no, absolutely. And like he's been able to almost see through lines that weren't obvious there prior to that. Mm -hmm. You know, to where he's like, hey, I've been taking this picture a lot. Right. You know, what's going on here? Like what? Why why do I keep on being drawn to this one type of image? Don't you and, think that's more common than than not? I mean the idea of of being drawn to certain compositions or even even styles. I mean, do you do you know any photographers who who have actively said, Well, I, I think I'm gonna shoot like this. I think my style is gonna be like this, and then they go do it? Or is it more of a style emerges in hindsight based on to your point, what you seem to be drawn to and how you seem to be drawn to representing it. In my experience, style is a, is something that you can look back and see. It's not something that's a, a deliberate decision going forward. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, there's too many variables in, in play to go, I'm going to shoot this the only way that you could make that sort of decision is if you're copying somebody mm -hmm. because they've worked out all the elements to to it sure or if you're using a specific piece of kit like a specific type of of lens or something where the results are are very predictable you know that i can see but but like even even that like you know I I imagine if you pulled data on like the most widely used cameras that are posting on Instagram mm -hmm. let's just say the vast majority of those images are going to be posted from us say five pieces of kit including an iPhone, mm -hmm. you know, like. I guess I meant I more of like a specialty lens. Like if you're, if you're shooting with oh, an eight okay, millimeter gotcha. fisheye, it, it oh, kind of yeah, doesn't yeah, matter yeah. what you shoot. It's going <laughs> to pretty much look the same. Or if you're, yeah. if you're shooting with one of those sort of prism type of lenses that, that, that sort of fragment the image. Well, there's only, I think there's only so much you can do with it because it's going to look by and large the same. I'm not saying that everybody shoots with a 50 is it's all the same or everybody shoots with a 28. I'm talking about more like specialty kit. Oh, you know? okay. Now I, I gotcha. Yeah. Long exposure with one of those light sticks, you know, it's like, okay, well yeah. that all kind of looks the same. Yeah. I'm, I'm more meaning like if, if I'm going to go, if I'm sitting here and go, uh, so I don't shoot portraits. Mm -hmm. So if I go, okay, I'm going to shoot black and white portraits with a white background cut from like say mid chest up you know like i'm creating a style that i've seen right. somewhere before right where it's would not... you have seen white backgrounds mid i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know oh um, but like the, the only way i can i could basically figure out all the variables is if i've already seen it Right. And, and it's not, it, it's not like a, an intrinsic style. It's not mm -hmm. something that's 
everyone who sees it go would go, oh, you're doing that style. You right. know, like right. where, you know, you look at, say, like, I don't know, my, like my pinhole work is pro- is something where like the, there's a lot of people or a lot of my, you know people I know who are like oh that's my style because I'm the one they've seen it do it right you know I did I didn't copy someone else that's something that I figured out and saw you know like sort of put the pieces together iterated and created different versions of it until I you you see the style that it is today. Mm-hmm. Well, and you yeah. would you would mix it up too. You would you would give yourself these thought experiments, and we talked about them. That that like, okay, if you handed Ernst Haas this camera, you know, this pinhole camera, how would this look? What would what would that look like? You know, so mm-hmm. you're you're not you're not copying a style directly. You're not doing a direct lift. You're you're letting someone else's work inform how you work, see, produce with the hardware and with your particular set of skills and experiences, which I I find that way more interesting, you know, because you got something both distilled and not distilled out of the end of that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 But like, I think those ideas, like taking something like that idea, like saying, what would, what would this look like if I, if, so-and-so shot this bringing his style but in a very different equipment that give that gives you a solid enough framework that you you know where the first step to go Mm -hmm. and then you could figure out the rest from there sure you know the hardest part the hardest part in the like you know it's like anything where you like you hand a camera to someone and say, "Hey, shoot something that's a hundred percent your style." People are like gonna go, "Uh, you know, if they haven't done it, you haven't put the work in, right?" You right. know, like there needs to be an easy step forward, then then creates a momentum where you're like, "Well, I'll just swing the leg forward again and take the next logical step," right? And then, and then when you look back, you're like, "Whoa, I'm." completely different from where i started with but i just you know took these what seemed to be very logical steps in the moment because i got started by take creating this almost intellectual framework to play with mm-hmm. so <laughs> yeah no i'm just I'm, I'm thinking about it now you were just making sure there was still movement and then when you look back you went oh wow huh i covered a lot of ground you know or yeah. or I th- I thought I was going to end up somewhere else, but here I am here, you know? Yeah. It, it's, a, it's something where I very much was like, I want to create interesting work. I have this idea of like, oh, what if I did, you know, did something here? And then I do something and go, oh, that didn't work. I'll try something else. Oh, that kind of worked. I, I like that element. Let's play with that specific element. And do it some more and go, huh, that it kind of worked, but I like in maybe let's take something that I did over here that didn't work, but let's try it now in this new framework. Oh, that worked a little more. I heard someone describe it that that you almost you almost want to have a near miss every time you go out shooting. Hmm. 
because if you hit something perfectly, you don't know where to take your next shot. But if you if you hit it close enough that where you could see where the bullseye is, but just off enough that it it's something you weren't intending, that gives you enough information to take the next shot, but also more information than you would you you previously had. And then you hope you do the same thing where you have another near miss. And it just becomes this progressive like stacking of ideas or concepts together. So did did you have any near misses yesterday? Was was there anything that that sort of propelled you to go in a different direction? Because you've been, I mean, I think it's fair to say you've been struggling a little bit with the photography side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yesterday, I just went in with no expectations on what to come out with or trying to. And I basically just brought one camera and one st- film stock. I was just going to go, I'm going to just shoot it this way and just try to create classic street photography for be- lack of a better way to yeah, put it. Sure. You know, like. How was this experience? compared to I mean cuz I think the last your last shooting experience was your trip out west how how was this experience compared to that it was different because I was st- I was as as much as the Mummer parade is just pure chaos <laughs> right. it's my chaos yeah it's like, kind of where you live I've <laughs> I, I've I've, I've, sh- I've shot those streets so much like it's literally in the like couple miles that I've covered on foot like all the time you know we got lunch from a food food cart and then one of the people was with was like uh is there a sunny spot that we could sit down and eat here and i'm like we just need to go block down there make a left and there's basically a railing that we could sit on that's in the sun right right you know because i you know i'd walk those streets so much so like it's very different than being out west for the first time and sort of just being completely out of your element. Right. You know, so, and I think it was, it was very much different in the past. I've always, I've always had this, put this pressure on myself to really produce at the Mummers parade because it is for the K my impressionistic style. The Mummers Parade is like the best thing in the world Mm because it's like super bright colors, tons of people. Like literally, if you if I got a sunny day on the Mummers Parade, I could burn through as much film as I possibly could. Like as as much film as you could carry. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But there was always this pressure like, hey, this is this is the big time. This is your one day of the year. If you don't get this right, you know, you literally have to wait another year. So this time I was able to go in with without those expectations and just go in and go, hey, let's just get some shots. Mm-hmm. You know, let's giving yourself like permission mom. to play. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's yeah. see what you could do. You know, that's. I Make mean, that, I think that's terrific because it it the trip to the west really kind of knocked some of the wind out of the sails for you, and and I think that giving yourself that's kind of a theme that I've been thinking about a lot is just giving yourself permission to make the work 
to play, to have fun, to engage in bringing us full circle, to engage in the process of making images without worrying about what comes out on the other side and enjoying that and, and letting that drive what gets produced. Because I think if you enjoy the process, if you, your skill, yes, you have to have skill with a camera, you have to know how to use it, et cetera. But I think that the enjoyment of the process will lead to better end products than if you're, if you feel like you're fighting with it the whole way. A hundred percent. It's sort of the thing that pops in my head. was, uh, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. She wrote the popular book, eat, pray, love. Sure. And some writer after she hit it big was like basically asking her for career advice. And there was a long story, but it basically distilled in, Every job has like a part that just sucks. Right. And you have to find, you have to find the job that you enjoy doing the thing that sucks. Right. Because we could all do the job when it's at the peak, you know, like when everything is going right, anybody could do that job. And I think that applies to process as well. Anyone could do a process if it's going well, but we have to find the process that we're ha- we will happily do when everything is going wrong. And you know, but back to sort of you know, I'd got to a point where the process wasn't so like wasn't something that I was getting joy from. So so it became harder and harder to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this was this was trying to almost fall back on the pure creative elements that sort of where I fell in love with photography to begin with. If you're enjoying the conversations so far and in between and you'd like to keep listening, you can subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Or you can get it as part of my everything feed, which also includes process-driven iterations and anything else I happen to put up. Just search for Jeffrey Sidoris Everything wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sidoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. Or you can visit my website at jeffreysidoris.com. If you've got ideas for discussions or conversations, email me at talkback at jeffreysidoris.com. Connect with John on Instagram at John Wilkening, that's J-O-N-W-I-L-K-E-N-I-N-G, or by visiting his website at johnwilkening.com. Thanks very much for your time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, and we'll talk to you on the next one. I had that same outfit. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> I asked one of my friends who's a girl, uh, and I was like, what would happen if you're like dating some dude and you're just browsing through their closet and you stumble on that outfit? Yeah, that's hanging on the back know, of the door. <laughs> but you don't know what the mummers are. Like, you have no concept what the mummers are. What is your first reaction? <laughs> she was like, ah. I mean, I would have questions. I was like, no shit. Yeah. (laughs) So you're into some things, huh?
This isn't one of those uh. plushy things, is it? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm a mummer. Yeah. You're a you're... what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And scene. <laughs>